That's one of the sharpest looking choirs, I bet you, in the southeast this morning, isn't it? All that red, white, and blue. I hope if, if you have your Bible today, you'll open this uh, passage of Scripture, John chapter 17, verses 13 through 18. If not, we're going to have it on the overhead. 
But I would like to just encourage you, even challenge you, that you will take time to read this passage of Scripture, John chapter 17. It is actually a prayer. Uh, Many of you already know that. It is hours before our Lord's death. We don't know if all the disciples heard this prayer. We don't know if John... Peter and James, who were in the inner circle, so to speak, of the Lord, were witness to this prayer. But by the guidance of the Holy Spirit, God uh, allowed John to record this prayer of Jesus. And let me just, uh, if you've got your Bible, this is not on the overhead, but let me just kind of set the stage. Jesus has already talked with them about their betraying him. And, And let me go back to chapter 16, verse 31. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? There had been questions about, again, who Jesus is, why he had come, what he was going to do. Verse 32 of chapter 16, Jesus says, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, every man to his house, and will leave me alone, yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said this to you, that in me you may have peace. Now listen to this, listen to this. In the world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, again, folks, I hope all of this is going to tie together in the message. And now listen to what Jesus says, beginning in chapter 17, verse 13. Again, this is part of his prayer. And he's speaking to the Father. But now I am coming to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the disciples and all who will follow him of every generation. Listen to verse 14. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Now, please notice twice Jesus is going to say this, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not pray that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil one. And again, for the second time, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 17, sanctify them in the truth. And look at these next four words. Thy word is truth. Whatever God says, it is true. This is God's word. It is truth. This is what Jesus is saying in this point. Verse 18. As thou dost send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Let us pray together. Father, I pray this morning that we will allow you to be in our very midst and you would allow your word to be proclaimed in power and in love, and that we who listen will hear it with a hungering heart and an open mind, and the Spirit desires that we would give you our very best. Lord, help us to see that even in the world that we live in, we will be rejected as your followers. But Lord, thank you that this world is truly not our home, that we have dual citizenship, that we're here only for a short period of time during which you want us to bear witness to you. But thank you that you have a home prepared for us. But, Lord, while we are on this planet, help us, Lord, to lead others to follow you. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen. The text that I've just read probably seems strange for the Sunday before July the 4th. 
So let me explain my choosing this text. While I was in college, and this has been so many years ago that I cannot remember the name of the missionary or where he had served, but while I was in college, I read the story of a missionary who lived back in the early 1900s. It was before the time of a lot of airplane travel. And this man who had given himself in serving the Lord in a foreign country overseas had finished his work and was now returning home in retirement. The ship that he was sailing on also had the president of the United States aboard who had gone overseas to conduct international business. And as the ship entered the port in New York City, a large cheering crowd had gathered to meet the president and to welcome him back home. But no one, no one was there to greet the missionary. And a passenger on board who had got to know this man and know that he was a missionary and served most of his life, this man, who was an unbeliever, began to mock the missionary's life. And the man said to the missionary, you have served God most of your life, yet no one came to welcome you home. What do you have to say about that? And the missionary very humbly replied, I am not yet home. Folks, this morning, you and I need to thank God. We need to thank God for the blessings of living in a free country. I am proud to be an American. But we also need to thank God for all the ways that God has blessed us as a nation. From our founding father, fathers hundreds of years ago, God has blessed us. But folks, is it just me or many of us as Christians, Christian Americans, depressed and frustrated over what is happening in our country? And this morning, my, my overall purpose is not to frustrate you or to get you up in arms. And I am not trying to be political this morning because I am not educated enough, smart enough to fully understand politics. And I'm not trying this morning to belittle one political group or elevate another. But as Christians that are living in the United States, we need to look seriously at what is happening in our world, and we need to get involved as Christians. Would you give me an amen? We need to get involved. We need to stop sticking our head in the sands and thinking that my life will not make a difference because it will. And I'm about to just repeat some stuff that you already know. We are in a mess, I believe, in our country right now. And all we've got to do is listen to the news or look at the headlines. And let me just point some of the things out. Except in times of emergencies or national crisis, God is truly being left out in our day. Let me give you some examples as a nation. We deny that God is the supreme creator. And I know that this doesn't seem like a big deal. You know, I don't want you to think that I'm just up here trying to criticize everybody this morning. I love PBS, most of the programming. And I love to look at the science programs because I'm not very bright when it comes to science. 
In this past week, uh, Nova has been coming on PBS, PBS for years, and I love to hear about the solar system and all that is going on, but do you know that I have yet to hear someone say, our universe came about because there's a great, loving creator God who created us and sustains us on an everyday basis and who is so far beyond us that we cannot comprehend him. But all these theories have been hatched where God is left completely and totally out. And that upsets me. Something else that truly disturbs me is that we deny that Jesus is the Son of God and Savior of the world in our society. And folks, if that fact were not true, then why can't the name of Jesus be used in prayers? Why do we have to not use the name of Jesus in praying others, thinking that we will offend them? Why is Hollywood trying to convince us that there are many ways to go to heaven? You know, that's happening, folks. All you got to do is watch TV. And folks, again, what about this book right here? Why have we determined that the Ten Commandments are outdated and should not be put on the walls of schools and government buildings? I believe one of the reasons is because we don't want anybody putting limitations on our behavior. But you remember what I read? Look at this verse, verse 17 that is up here. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Folks, I am so grateful that during Vacation Bible School, this was one of the verses of one of the days. Thy word is truth. Folks, we must turn back to the truth, which is the word of God. And something, something else that kind of ticks me off is the church is being ridiculed and made fun of. And in society's eyes, I believe they're basically saying to the church, you are good to help with social needs, but don't try and tell me about my spiritual needs. And have you noticed that if something bad happens at churches, churches as a whole are ridiculed? You know what I'd love to hear one Monday night as I sat down to watch CBS, NBC, or ABC, or whatever network you choose? It would bless my heart to hear one of the news anchors say, let me tell you what happened in the Christian world this past week. Let me tell you about the people that got saved on Sunday morning at local churches spread throughout the United States. How many of us would probably pass out or think that we needed to have hearing tests? And again, my, my effort today is not sarcasm. Folks, no wonder our country is now confused about morality. And there are examples from the White House to the street corner. When our president supports gay marriage and government pays for abortions on demand, something is wrong in the United States of America. No wonder our young people have a hard time understanding what is truly right and wrong. Why are there so many murders? Why is there so much domestic, child, and sexual abuse? And it is rampant in our day. And folks, again... I know that a lot of this has happened even within the church. Folks, why is our nation filled with addictions, alcohol and drug and sexual and even material addiction? 
why do young people are people? And let me, I don't want to seem like I'm picking on one group, but why do many people have no desire to work and be dependent upon others and upon the government? Why is there so much greed that the almighty dollar seems to rule? Why is it that those in places of responsibility have forsaken God and work for themselves, whether it is in the court system, whether it is in politicians or corporations or even in clergy? And folks, I want to tell you, the ministry is getting a black eye because people have lost sight of serving Jesus Christ rather than serving themselves. And even within the church, there are many who say evil is good and good is evil. You know where that came from? That's the human heart outside of the reign of Jesus Christ. And this is nothing new. If you go back and look in the Old Testament prophet days, there were people in the clergy who were saying, don't worry about living a righteous life because everything's going to be okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Do whatever you want to do. And on and on, and more and more, we could bring up depressing events in America. But that's not the purpose of the message. All right. Have I got you all worked up and all mad and all depressed? Well, folks, I wanted you to hear what I had to say. But now I want you to hear what else I've got to say because of what the Word of God says. Let me tell you some things that we need to remember as Christians. First of all, and again, this doesn't make sense at first. As a Christian, we have dual citizenship. And let me explain to you what I mean by using the words of the Lord Jesus himself. Listen to what Jesus says in John eight fourteen. Look at this. Look at this. And, and let me give you a little bit of background of this. Jesus, Jesus is being accused of being a blasphemer and a liar in, in John chapter 8. And the Pharisees are bringing all these charges against him, and Jesus starts talking about witnesses, uh, his works, the word of God, uh, John the Baptist. There have been so many witnesses to who he is, and they still don't believe him. And this is what Jesus said. And I do not hear Jesus saying this in a sarcastic way, but I just want you to just underline this verse in your Bible. Jesus says to the Pharisees, I know whence I have come and whither I am going. What does he say? I know where I came from. Where did Jesus come from? He came from heaven. Where was he going? He's going back to heaven. And folks, it doesn't make any difference how disbelieving our world becomes, how unholy, unrighteous, ungodly. It is still a truth that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ. He left heaven. He came to earth. He died on a cross. He was buried in a grave. He rose the third day, and he's coming back again. Amen. Hallelujah. All right? That's going to happen. But listen, Jesus is saying, you can say anything about me you want to. You can lie about me. You can tell people that I'm not the Messiah. But listen, I'll prove it to you. I'm trying to get you to connect. And and not that it's hard to do. And I'm not saying that you can't understand this. I want you to know my point. Jesus saw that he had dual citizenship. Yes, he was born in Bethlehem. He was of Nazareth but he was of heaven too. Listen to John 14, 1 through 3. And I know you hear this all the time at funerals, but folks, this is word for the living too. Listen to this. Let not your hearts be troubled. Now, how often do we get stressed out about living in the world today? But Jesus says, not just in the context of dying, 
But Jesus says in the context of everyday pressures and anxiety, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house. Now, this is a revised standard. I love the King James. In my Father's house are meant what? Many mansions. If, I were, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And listen to verse 3. When I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is telling his disciples, fellas, I'm getting ready to die, but guess what? I'm going back to heaven. That's where I came from. A grave outside of Jerusalem is not going to hold me. I'm not bound by death. I am the eternal God. And he says, guess what? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come back and get you so that where I am, there you can be also. Don't get so caught up in this world that you forget there's a world beyond this world that I prepared for you. And folks, look at John 17, 4 and 5. And you're going to have to skip through, Mackenzie, the next two. We got those out of line. There we go, John 17, 4 and 5. And, And this is part of the prayer that Jesus is saying to the Father, listen to this, I glorified thee on earth having accomplished the work which thou hast given me to do. And now, Father, listen to this, listen to what Jesus is saying to his heavenly Father, glorify thou me in what? Thine own presence with the glory which I had with thee before the world was made. Jesus knew he was going back to heaven. And Jesus knew that he would not be a man of flesh, but he would be the eternal Son of God again. Folks, do you get the picture? Jesus is saying, listen, I temporarily came to this earth, but I'm going back home. My home is not in Nazareth or in Palestine, but my home is with the Father in heaven. And folks, that's what the message is this morning. Don't don't get so caught up and overwrought in the world that we live in that we lose sight of our dual citizenship. Folks, as Christians, we are living in this world that is ruled by Satan and his servants, but one day we will be in the world to come ruled by Christ. Let me give you a couple more examples of this. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. You know, we read and studied this a couple of months ago. As Jesus is ascending into heaven, the disciples are standing there watching him, and I'd have been doing the same thing. And the angel said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you, and where was he going? Into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Listen, Jesus' destination was heaven. That is our destination. And folks, it's not just the words of Jesus. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3.20. Look at this verse. But our commonwealth is where? In heaven. In heaven. Yes, we're living here. It's only going to be a short period of time. But our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In this passage of Scripture, Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 16. Just listen as I read this. And again, trying to just pull Scriptures from different parts of the Bible, it might seem disjointed. But folks, even the people of the Old Testament look beyond this life, and they look to being with God eternally. Listen to this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was to go. This is making reference back in Genesis 11 and 12, where Abraham, who had been uh, raised in the area of Ur and Haran, had been called by God to follow him to the promised land. 
But look, Abraham saw beyond the promised land. It says, verse 9, By faith he sojourned in the, sojourned in the land of promise as a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked forward. Now look at verse 10. He looked forward to the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What is he talking about? Talking about heaven. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she was considered, since she considered him faithful, faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead was born descendants as many as the stars of the heaven and as the immeasurable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith. Now listen to this. These all died in faith, not having received what was promised, but having seen it and greeted it from afar and have acknowledged that they were strangers. Look at this. Strangers and exiled, exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they could have had opportunity to return. Now listen to what verse 15 says. If Abraham was looking just to go back home to Ur or Haran, he could have left Canaan at any time and gone back. But this is what he was looking for, verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Folks, listen to this. Here's the whole point. Regardless of how frustrating and discouraging our world becomes, we must remember we are not yet home. This is not it. But folks, there's a second thing we need to remember, and that is God is in control. God has never lost control. And the actions of our day has not taken God by surprise nor destroyed his dominion and power. And Mackenzie, if you will go back in the overhead to 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. If you'll go back. Listen to these verses. Now, again, none of us know if we're living in the last days. And I'm not going to stand up here saying and say, I believe Jesus is going to come back before I die because I don't know that. But folks, Paul wrote these words thousands of years ago. 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5. Now listen to this. Remember that there will be difficult times in the last days. Listen to this description. And folks, does it not sound like somebody wrote it this morning? People will be selfish, greedy, boastful, conceited. They will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, irreligious. They will be unkind, merciless, slanderers, violent, and fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous, reckless, swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. They will hold to the outward form of our religion but reject its real power. Keep away from such people. Folks, don't think living in this world is going to be a rose garden for Christians. It is not. And it is absolutely going to get worse, it seems, before Jesus Christ comes back again. But let me put this perspective in your mind. And this is from David Jeremiah. I was listening to him one day on the radio, and he was talking about the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation affirms that Jesus is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. And 
And David Jeremiah said, you can sum up the book of Revelation with two words. And I was sitting there driving down the road and thinking, what is, what is two words? What's two words? You know what the two words were? We win. We win. The child of God is a winner because we're not going to be bound to this earth forever and ever and ever. One day we'll be with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Number three, God has a plan for us in this world. So often we lose sight of that. I'm guilty of that. So often I get so frustrated and aggravated and annoyed. And I think the world does not care about the church and about the gospel and about Christians and about the Lord Jesus Christ. So just let them all go to the devil. Have you ever had, I could have said that another way, couldn't I? But uh, you know what I'm trying to say? But folks, listen to what Jesus said in John 17, 15. Listen to what he says, John 17, 15. I do not, now listen, this is the Lord praying to the Father. I do not pray that thou should take them out of the world, but thou should keep them from the evil one. Now think about this for just a second. Next time you and I say, well, Lord, just, just take me up. You know, like, like Captain Kirk, Scotty, beam me out of here. I'm ready to go. I might feel that way after the election this year too. Lord, just take me on up. But Jesus says, I do not pray that you'll take them out of the world, but you'll keep them from the evil one. And then look what he says in verse 18, as thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Jesus has left us here for a purpose. And just as the Father sent us to show his love through his Son, God leaves us here to show his love. Folks, God wants you and I to lay aside our frustration and depression of the moment. And there's at least three things that God wants us to do. Number one, we're to become the light of the world. And this is Matthew 5, 14. And I got I to gotta apologize to Fran. I wrote Matthew 4, 14. And it's supposed to be Matthew 5, 14. Don't you get depressed and frustrated with me sometimes, uh, friend? I know you do. Uh, <laughs> let, me, let me tell you what Matthew 5:14 says. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hid. Secondly, the Lord wants us to be his witnesses. He says it over and over, Acts 1:8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Look, God's got a plan. And that plan at this moment is not to take us out, but to leave us here. One day, he is going to take us out of this world, but it's not now. And so I think the Lord wants you and I to understand, keep busy, keep working. And there's a third verse of Scripture that I want to point out, 1 Corinthians 16, 9. We are to be instruments of Christ in an ungodly world. In 1 Corinthians 16, 9, the Apostle Paul is winding up his letter to first, his letter of 1 Corinthians. And, and Corinth was a terrible place to do ministry. I mean, they were just evil, evil, evil. They worshipped all kind of gods. They acted immorally, corruptly. And there was a church that was trying to thrive and grow. And Paul had to correct them some of the ways that they'd gotten into error. This is what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 16, 9, For a wide door for effective work is open to me, and there are many adversaries. Folks, let me tell you something. 
God's work on this earth is not yet done. He'll let us know. And even though we've got a lot of adversaries, keep working. Number four, there's the possibility of revival in our land and in our day, but it must be done according to the word of God, and it must begin in the people of God. Look at this verse. Second Chronicles 7:14, written again thousands of years ago. But if you and I want revival to take place in our country, this is our part. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sins and heal their land. Do we want revival? Well, let's get down to business. Let's get on our knees. Let's humble our heart. Let's seek God. And let's repent of sin as his people. Let's set the right example. Let's not mingle with the world where they can't tell the difference between us and the world and they can't tell that we're believers and we're Christians. And number five, God wants us to commit ourselves to Christian citizenship while we're on this earth. Earlier when I was talking about my report card, here was my point. We need to give our best to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, and this is not on the overhead, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Folks, are our lives as Christians being lived for the glory of God? Number two, we are to obey the laws of God and the laws of man, the laws of man that do not contradict the word of God or the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some biblical uh, background for this. Romans 13, 1 through 8. I've got two more things and I'll finish, okay? Romans 13, 1 through 8. Paul is talking about living as Christians in an ungodly world. Listen to this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Let me tell you what I take from this verse. If your candidate that you vote for this fall doesn't get elected, it must have not have been God's will. Because even in the Old Testament, some of the most evil leaders that served, they served under the purpose and plan of God. Was it God's plan that they'd be so evil? Absolutely not. But God allowed it to happen in his permissive will. And that's a whole lot of other sermons, okay? But whomever gets elected, it will not be out of the control of God. Please keep that in your heart and mind. Verse 2. Therefore, he who resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. You know what he's saying there? If you don't break the law, you ain't got to worry about the law. Let me ask you something. If you're going here to Durham, if you're running 75 miles an hour, aren't you looking in every driveway and every pullover to see if one of the state men is there? But if you're going to speed limit 55, you don't care who's sitting there, right? Here's the principle. If you don't break the law, you don't have to worry about the law. I thought you wanted to know that. All right, verse 4. <laughs> for he is God's servant for your good, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is a servant of God to execute his wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. We know what's right and wrong. Listen to this, verse 6. This is going to really make you happy. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities of ministers of God attending to this very thing. 
pay all of them their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, revenue to whom revenue is due, respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. Let me say something that I'm saying to myself. We must not speak disrespectfully of our president and of those in leadership positions, even if we don't like their decisions and what they're doing. We are to treat them with respect, okay? And listen to verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Folks, we are to obey the laws of God and the laws of man. And finally, not finally, thirdly, we are to pray for all those who lead. This is 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intersections, and intercessions and thanksgiving be made for all men. Look at verse 2. For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life, godly and respectful in every way. This is good and it is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires. Look at verse 4. Who desires all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, regardless of how people seem to have been turned against God and how they speak out against God and live against God, God still desires that they be saved. That's where you and I come in, reaching them with the love of Christ. And here's the final thing. As Christians who are living on this planet but headed toward heaven, we need to quit complaining, and this is said to me, we need to quit complaining, quit griping about our country and how bad it is and do something to change our country. Amen? So let's not sit here and complain and gripe, but let's get out of here and go do something to change the world. And I want to conclude by saying this. Do you vote? If you don't vote, then don't say anything about how the election turned out. I want to encourage you, and I'm not telling you how to vote or which party to vote for, but I am saying as a Christian citizen, you need to vote. Don't use any excuses. If you don't know where to go, call me, and I'll consider the visit, and we'll go up to the Board of Elections. One of our fine church members is, is over the Board of Elections. Did you know that? And she'll be happy to see you come in and register. Folks, I'm being serious right now. We are not going to change the world until, number one, we stand up and live like Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Number two, when we pray for the world. Number three, when we get out and vote and tell through the ballot how we feel about things. People are mocking the Christians, saying if they, really, if they really put into practice what they say they believed, our world would be better and different, and I believe it will be. And the way to do it is not through violence. It is through the ballot box. Do you vote? Are you registered? Don't worry. If you can't read the ballot, somebody can go into the ballot booth with you to help you read. Folks, here's my point. We need to get burdened about what's going on and stop griping, stop complaining, get on our knees and get in the ballot box. And if it's God's will, there'll be somebody else representing us who will have a heart and mind for Jesus Christ. Here's my conclusion. God has not yet called us home because he has got work for us to do. But as we work for him, know that this is not our final home. 
we're only passing through to serve and glorify him. So in a world that is becoming more and more discouraging and frustrating to Christians, we need to keep looking up because who knows, the trumpet might sound today. And if you don't know which trumpet I'm talking about, see me after church, all right? The Lord's coming back. But I want to say this in closing. May God bless the United States of America. Let us pray. Father, Lord, I thank you that we truly are people of dual citizenship. You placed us on this earth and you've allowed us to know your son is our savior so that we would work for you and glorify you and make a difference in the world. And Father, I pray that we will. I pray that as we live our daily lives that people will see Christ in us and one by one people would turn and receive your son as savior and be transformed into witnesses and servants for you. And Lord, we pray for our country. Oh God, may there be a great awakening, even a revival in our day. And Lord, may we lead the way. May we as Christians step to the front of the lines and say, I, I serve Jesus and I want our country to serve him too. Father, please give us a new desire to serve you as we live as Christian citizens. And Father, in all the frustration and depression and discouragement that is about us, help us to be reassured today that there is a home awaiting us in heaven where there will be no more sin, no more rebellion against you, no more questioning, is God real? Is Jesus the Savior? Because we'll be able to see you face to face and we'll know that Jesus Christ is truly the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Bless us in these moments of invitation and, O oh God, speak to our hearts and may we respond in a way that will please and honor you. In Jesus' name.